I am sure that at some point in your life, maybe some point recently, maybe even right now, you've had to question God. You've not understood what or why things were going on, and you've really had to wrestle with some serious doubt and questions. I know we all have, and I want you to know you're not alone. Matter of fact, this week I was reading an article in Relevant Magazine where a user submitted a question to one of the writers for a response, and it was the question that really gripped me. This is what it said. It said, Dear Eddie, I am the infant tossed about by the waves that Paul talks about in Ephesians, never knowing quite what I believe. I grew up a believer, but in graduate school I began to openly confront the serious doubts I'd long had. Long story short, I walked away from my faith for a few years. I found my way back to Christianity, but I still often feel like I can't seem to quite suppress all my questions and skepticism. My desire is to totally commit to Christianity, to know God and to live for Jesus, but I feel like my mind never has a resolution. How do I go about building a firm foundation of faith? Sincerely, Ava. Man, I thought that was such a good question because it was really honest. It was transparent. It was saying, look, I want to trust Jesus. I want to live for him. I want to believe these things, but I just can't find that resolution in my thinking to alleviate all my doubts. How do I grow in faith when I still have doubts? Man, that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. What do you do when you question God? What do you do when you have doubts? What do you do when things don't make sense? Maybe start here. Is it okay? Is it okay to have these doubts? Is it okay to have these questions? Is it okay when you wonder about these things? Maybe you've caught yourself, you know, having these questions, but think if I just stick it out and try harder, I'll grow out of having questions. I'll reach the place in my Christian maturity where I know everything I need to know and I don't have questions. Or maybe you're sitting there thinking right now, are my questions ever going to get answered? Well, the, the book of the Minor Prophets we're going to look at today, Habakkuk, really gets to the heart of these questions. And it really begins to help us understand what it looks like for us to wrestle with doubt and what it looks like for us to question God. So we're going to do that. If you got your Bible, go ahead and turn to Habakkuk or open uh, up the app to there. We'll get there in a minute. While we do, let me give you a little background about Habakkuk. See, when I think of Habakkuk, I think of Habakkuk as a backwards prophet. And I'll tell you why. He was the first prophet that we're going to look at in this series who prophesied to the southern kingdom. Remember, Israel had split between the north and the south. Habakkuk was from the south, prophesied to the south, but that's not what makes him unique. What makes Habakkuk really interesting and really unique is that he breaks the model that most of the prophets fit in. See, this was the model of most prophets. You had a prophet who heard from God and then took that message and gave it to the people. We see that as far back as Moses. You see that in Isaiah, one of the major prophets. We saw that last week in Amos with the minor prophets. But see, Habakkuk breaks that model and turns it on its head. Rather than hearing from God and talking to the people, Habakkuk looks at the people and hears from them and then takes his questions to God. He's really the backwards prophet. He, he doesn't deliver God's message to the people. He delivers these questions, these doubts, these concerns to God. As a matter of fact, it's very reminiscent of Job. 
maybe you're familiar with Job. There's an entire book of the Bible that tells his story. It's one of the oldest books in the Bible. And really, it's about a man who endures suffering, who endures trial, and he questions God. But even Habakkuk turns Job's questioning on its head. See, when you look at Job's life, Job, while he was undergoing uh, this suffering and torment, he keeps maintaining that he's innocent and wants to know, why am I suffering if I'm innocent? Habakkuk does the exact opposite. He looks out at the world, says, if there's so much sin around me, if there's so much unfaithfulness, why are people not judged? So Habakkuk really is the backwards prophet. In a lot of ways... I think Habakkuk is one of the earliest deconstructionists. Deconstruction is a big thing that's happening in Christian circles today. And many people are deconstructing their faith to the point that they walk away from that. They question things. They find answers. They think in other places. And many people wind up losing their faith in the process. And we talked about this a while back in our series, Why We Walk Away. It's still available on the website if you want to go back and and re-listen to some of those messages. Uh, But I think Habakkuk can show us a right way to question and a right way to deconstruct. He has very real, very serious questions for God that he doesn't understand why things are happening, why things are the way they are. But when we end Habakkuk, He's in a far different place than many people who deconstruct today. And so that's my hope for our time together, that we would look at Habakkuk and learn how to live and question differently on the other side of it. So let's jump in. If you got your Bible in Habakkuk, that's where we're going to be. And to understand Habakkuk, we really need to break it down into three big pieces. Not necessarily three sections or three chapters, even though it kind of follows that outline. But there's really three big pieces of Habakkuk that fit together that I want to look at with you uh, in these next few minutes. The, The first piece to really understanding Habakkuk is seeing Habakkuk's questions, right? The book is about a prophet who questions God. So what are his questions? Well, his first question is this, why is God silent and inactive? And maybe that's a question you've asked before. Again, don't feel alone. Habakkuk asked the same one. Look at what he says there in Habakkuk chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says this, The pronouncement that the prophet Habakkuk saw, How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. Man, he, right off the bat, strong statements, big questions. God, why is this happening and why aren't you doing anything about it? Habakkuk, the southern prophet, looking at the southern people, the supposedly faithful nation of Judah, sees rampant wickedness in the country. And he says, God, do you see this? Do you see the sin of the people? Not just the sin of people out there, but the people who claim to be your people, the people who have turned to their own desires and and their own wants, people who have turned from you. God, do you see it? And does this sound familiar from last week? If you see it, do you care? That was Amos, right? God, do you care about sin? Well, I won't re-preach that message. You can go back and watch it on demand, that message about Amos. But the answer is, yeah, God cares. 
And he answers Habakkuk. God says, look, I'm not going to remain silent. I do see, I do care, I am going to judge sin. In fact, I'm going to use the Babylonians, uh, otherwise known as the Chaldeans, I'm going to use them to come and judge you. And for Habakkuk, this is a tough pill to swallow. It leads to his second question, which if you keep reading down in chapter 1, right around verse 12 or so, you see this second question from Habakkuk, which is basically, how can God use a sinful group of people like the Babylonians to judge a covenant people like the nation of Judah? And this is a really tough question, maybe even harder than the first. How can God use seemingly sinful people to accomplish His holy purpose? How is it right for God to use these barbaric idolaters to punish His people? Yes, people who have strayed from Him, but people who are His people. People who have made a covenant with Him. Go back and look at the first message in this series, Hosea. People who are His chosen people. God, how can you use them to judge us? That's a really hard question. And to be honest, I'm not sure that Habakkuk gets a good answer. And we'll get there in a minute. But I think it's important, maybe let's pause and say, let's look at what Habakkuk's not doing. Because what Habakkuk's not doing is what many people who question God do today. Habakkuk's not trying to pull a gotcha on God. He's not saying, aha, I now can see that you're not real. Aha, I now know you're not powerful. See, I got you, God. No, that's not what Habakkuk's doing. What Habakkuk's doing is very real and it's very honest. He sees God's inactivity. He asks why. God answers, and then he says, I mean, God, I hear you, but I just don't understand. I don't understand why you would do it this way. And for me, that is a thin line in our hearts sometimes. Are we asking these questions trying to vindicate ourselves? Or are we asking these questions because, God, I want to trust. I just, I just having a hard time right now. See, that may be a thin line in our hearts, but there's a world of difference there, isn't there? There's a world of difference when we are truly questioning God because we want to believe. But right now, in this moment with these questions, it is incredibly hard. Look, can I tell you, I've been there. I've been there. When my mother, at 50 years old, two weeks before my youngest son was born, left this world into the next, I struggled. God, why? And I wasn't trying to trap God in a corner. I wasn't trying to say, look, I got you. I wasn't trying to vindicate myself. I just didn't understand why. And honestly, uh, looking back nine years later, I don't know that I still understand why. And that's the thing. God is going to give Habakkuk an answer, and we're going to see that. But the answer really isn't all that satisfactory. I mean, if we summarize it, this is more in chapter 2. In chapter 2, God tells Habakkuk, Look, yes, I'm going to judge the Babylonians too. The Chaldeans, they're going to get theirs when it's their time. And I get that that's an answer, but man, it just doesn't feel like a satisfactory answer. And that's kind of how I was as I walked through that with my mom some. 
You know, I had countless people who came up and told me, you know, well, God has a plan. Like, I get that. I believe that. It just doesn't feel good in the moment. It just, it doesn't bring me that comfort that I'm looking for. And that's why I think when you understand Habakkuk, the first thing you have to see is Habakkuk's questions. But the next piece isn't necessarily God's answer. There are answers. Don't miss that. There are answers. But if we really want to understand where Habakkuk is pointing us, we don't need to look at God's answers. We need to look at God's promises. Again, promises. He does give answers, but because they're not entirely satisfactory, what we need to do is look at the promises God gives Habakkuk in those answers. So if you look at chapter 2, when God really answers this hard question from Habakkuk, sprinkled in, there's three statements that God makes that are eternal promises He's giving Habakkuk to hang on to. So, so let's look at them real quick. We're going to pull each of them out. Uh, first thing is this. Uh, look at chapter 2, verse 4. His first promise is, the righteous will live by faith. This is what Habakkuk 2.4 says. It says, look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity, but the righteous one will live by his faith. So that's kind of a two-part verse, right? Hey, look at that person. His ego's puffed up. He's prideful. He's arrogant. He's without integrity. Who is that? What God is doing is he's referencing the Babylonians and the Chaldeans here. He's saying, look at them. They are going to get what they're going to get. They're puffed up. They're proud. They trust in their military power. Yes, I'm using them to judge you, but they're going to get theirs in the end. But then he contrasts those Babylonians and Chaldeans. He contrasts them with the Judeans. He says, but the righteous one will live by his faith. So that, that's kind of a loaded statement. Matter of fact, it's a statement that Paul is going to use again in the book of Romans as he unpacks what it means for us to know Christ and be declared righteous by knowing Christ. See, that idea of righteous in the Old Testament, a righteous person is someone who is in a right standing with God. It really has like legal connotations. It is somebody who has been judged by the judge and found righteous. Right? Well, how is that person found righteous or innocent? Well, this is how. This is key. Someone is found righteous because of their faith. We are not found righteous because we are without fault. We are not found righteous because we've done enough good. We are found righteous on the basis of faith, trust, belief in God and His Word. Now, Maybe you're listening right now and you're saying, hold on, that's a New Testament thing. This is Old Testament. You're 100% right. That idea of a gifted righteousness through faith is a very New Testament idea. Matter of fact, it is at the core of salvation that you and I can do nothing to earn our righteous standing before God. It is a gift given from Jesus that is given on uh, those who have faith in Him. But you are wrong if you think that's only a New Testament idea. Matter of fact, the first appearance of this idea happens all the way back in Genesis chapter 15 when Abraham is considered righteous by God because of his faith. So a righteous person is going to live by faith. 
And that's what Habakkuk is teaching here. In this context, that righteous person is the exact opposite of the proud Chaldeans. And here's the point. It is in these trying times that a person who is righteous by faith must continue in faith and trust that God is going to handle whatever situation they are in appropriately. The righteous person. How are we righteous? By faith, that righteous person must continue to live in faith. So the first promise we see from God is that the righteous live by faith. What's the second promise? Second promise is that this earth is going to be filled with the Lord's glory. Skip down in chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verse 14. This is what we read. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. That's a promise that you've probably heard before. It's a promise that's echoed later in Scripture, but it's a promise that is essential in God's answer to Habakkuk. It's the promise that there is coming a time when the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. I, I could try and explain that. I'm not. I'm going to pivot to one of my favorite authors, Warren Wearsby. He gives an incredible explanation for what this verse means. Let me read it to you. Warren Wearsby says this, The earth in Habakkuk's day, was certainly not filled with much glory, nor is it today. Look at the five woes in this chapter, and you will see the sins that, God's hate, that God hates. Greedy and violent covetousness, murder for gain, drunkenness, and idolatry. These are the very sins that are polluting nations today. And God hates these sins today just as much as He did back in Habakkuk's day. But the promise still stands that God's glory shall one day fill this earth for Jesus Christ shall return, put down all sin, and establish His righteous kingdom. Here's the promise. God is promising that what is is not always what will be. Yes, we live in a broken world now. Yes, we live in a world now where bad things happen to good people and bad people often see good treatment. We live in a world now where things don't make sense, but the world as it is now is not the world as it will always be. Because when Jesus Christ returns and establishes His physical kingdom here on this earth, He is going to right all of these wrongs. Listen, what God is promising Habakkuk right here is that just because He is allowing things right now, specifically the Chaldeans to run unchecked, does not mean He will always allow these things. And that's very true for us even today. The things that God allows now aren't always going to go on forever. And these include sin. It will ultimately be done away with. Sickness will ultimately be done away with. And death will ultimately be done away with. God promises that one day this earth will be full of His glory. And then the third promise. The promise that even now the Lord is in His holy temple. Skip down and look at verse 20 in chapter 2. This is what it says. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in His presence. I mean, it's pretty straightforward, right? That even today, while things are going crazy, even in Habakkuk's day, when the Babylonians are allowed to run unchecked, that God, throughout this all, is still on His throne that God is still sovereign over this world, and that He is still in control. 
And I think that's why that final promise is so important. See, Habakkuk initially thought that God was unconcerned with things that were happening in this world. But by the end of chapter 2, he is realizing, no, God is very concerned with the things that were happening. God was very concerned with the problems that, the, that his people were facing. But he also found out that he was working out his own plan in his own time. And that's part of God being on the throne. It means you're not. I mean, I think some of our frustration so many times is when we question God, not that we don't trust what He's doing. That, that is part of it, but it's almost more, God, why aren't you doing what I would do? And I think the reminder here is that, well, it's because He's God and we're not. I mean, if I'm really honest with you right now, just, just fully transparent, if I was God, would I have allowed my mother to die at 50 years old and not see her second grandson? Absolutely not. Even today, right now, this moment, would I do that? No. But I'm not God. I'm not on the throne. He is. And that's the promise. He's on the throne. And here's the thing that I know. He sees further and He knows better. And so what we have to do is we have to come to the place that we trust that. That's why, first promise, the righteous have to live by faith. Again, here's what Warren Wearsby says. I think it's spot on. If we look at ourselves or at our circumstances, we're going to be discouraged and want to quit. But if we look up to God by faith and ahead to the glorious return of Christ, then we will be encouraged and enabled to go on in victory. So look, I may not ever fully understand what is going on. I most certainly will never understand why it's going on. But the promise that we have here in the end of Habakkuk chapter 2 is we know who is still on the throne. So those three promises are key. The righteous person lives by faith, that the earth will one day be full of His glory, and that He is still on the throne right now. But those are only two pieces, right? Habakkuk's questions... God's promises, the final piece of Habakkuk that kind of brings it all together is when we see Habakkuk's restored confidence, right? Because he begins this, How long, Lord, are you going to be silent and not pay any attention? But that's not where he ends. Again, we see so many people deconstructing their faith and questioning God and wrestling with doubts and ultimately walking away from faith. But I believe honestly questioning God can also lead to the exact opposite. I believe when we bring our questions to God honestly, sincerely, without agenda, that we can end up, like Habakkuk does, with a stronger faith than when we began. Look at how Habakkuk ends this book. Start reading with me in chapter 3, verse 16. This is what Habakkuk says. I heard and trembled within. What did I hear? The answer I didn't like, and that's why I trembled. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. Imagine that. Habakkuk ends his book by saying, God, you answered. I don't like it. It's coming. I'm going to wait for it. And I'm going to be sick to my stomach while I'm waiting for it. But how, where, where does he go from there? Look at this. This is amazing. Though the fig tree does not bud... And there is no fruit on the vines. 
Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength and He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights for the choir director on the stringed instruments. See, Habakkuk's circumstances haven't changed. Judah, still sinful. Judgment is coming and it's coming from a place that Habakkuk doesn't like or agree with. His circumstances haven't gotten any better, but his confidence absolutely has. He says, and I love this, even though I don't see it, even though I don't get it, even though I don't like it, I will still trust. That is a place of faith. That is where we get when we honestly question God and are willing to accept His answers, even though I will still trust. Now here's what you need to see. is Habakkuk's trust doesn't come from understanding how this all works out. I think it comes not from that, but from the promises God makes and believing them. Habakkuk's assurance doesn't rest in these visible yet temporal blessings, but rather it rests in an unshakable relationship with His covenant God. And that's faith. That's what faith is. It's this trust, this faith, that gives Him the strength to stand in these tough circumstances. And so the question for us is now how do we live on the back side of that? Like, what do we do with this? Well, number one, I think, obviously, Habakkuk shows us, yes, it is okay to question God. I'm not saying that every time somebody questions God that they're doing it the right way because far too many times we do it to vindicate ourselves and to push an agenda. But when you are honestly struggling to believe, when you are honestly struggling to have faith, I believe that it is in no way, shape, or form sinful to bring to God our honest questions and doubts. Matter of fact, I believe Habakkuk shows us that it should be encouraged, that we come to Him. But... I think on the back side of this, looking at Habakkuk from where we are now in 2022, it has to mean, what Habakkuk teaches us has to mean more to us than, than what it did to Habakkuk. That, that seems weird. I know. Let me, kinda, let me try to explain that. On the back side of understanding what God taught to Habakkuk, we should understand it more deeply than he did. Again, let me, let me just read you what Warren Wearsby said because I think he, he puts it better than I could. This is what he says. How much more should this mean to us? Habakkuk looked through the fog and mist and wondered at God's plan. But in Christ, we know God's plan for this age. We have the entire Bible to study. Habakkuk didn't have this. We have the record of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, as well as the promise of His coming again. If any people ought to walk by faith and rejoice in the Lord, it is the Christian church today. Yet too often, we doubt, complain, run ahead of God, and even criticize what he's doing. So, so here's Wearsby's point, and I think it's so important for us today. 
is that these promises that God made to Habakkuk, we get to see the fullness of what Habakkuk just got a glimpse of, a peek at, we get to see clearly in Jesus. And specifically what I mean is that in the cross and by the cross, we see the fullness of those promises made long ago. In the cross, we have the final and full proof of God's unwavering love for us. Man, it reminds me of a song, Casting Crowns, uh, Just Be Held. Maybe you've heard it before. Listen to this line from Casting Crowns. It says, If your eyes are on the storm, you'll wonder if I love you still. If your eyes are on the cross, you'll know I always have and always will. That, that's it. That is spot on. When we are looking at the circumstances around us, it is hard to trust. But when we look at the cross of Jesus Christ, we will see that God did not spare His one and only Son, but freely gave Him over for us all. And if He has given us His Son, how will He with Him not freely give us everything else? It's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. When we look at the cross, we see the final proof that God has a plan and what the world world means for evil, God can and does use for good. When we look at the cross, we see, we get, we understand that God's love is faithful and it doesn't fail. It is the proof of everything that he promised Habakkuk. Even when we can't see it, even when we don't understand it, God's love is faithful to us. So here's the thing. Here's where we just kind of wind it down and really hit home. Look, we're always going to have questions. I don't know if that's like deflating to you right now, but I just want to shoot you straight. I still have questions. AJ still has questions. Eddie still has questions. We all still have questions. And there's never going to be a point that you reach in life where every bad thing that happens to you makes perfect sense. Oh, God, I see why you did that. It's just not going to happen. No matter how much you try to figure out and Sherlock Holmes, all these bad things that have happened in your life, at some point, it's going to boil down to trust. The pieces are never going to fit together as perfectly as you like. At some point, it just comes back to, are you going to live by faith? Are you going to put your trust in who God is and not your limited understanding of what has happened? And this is, man, such a hard tension to manage. Like, don't hear me downplaying it. It's simple. It doesn't mean it's easy. This is such a hard tension to manage because here's why. The things that we can see can't give us the confidence that we so desperately crave. Why? Because the things that we see are, are fleeting. They're temporary. And the things that can provide us the confidence we need to live by faith are things that are unseen. Why are they unseen? Because they're eternal. So we're left with this tension. What I can see doesn't give me the confidence I need, but the confidence I need comes from the things I can't see, but I have to trust by faith. And man, that, that's just the Christian life. As hard as it is, 
That's the Christian life. So the question that you have to answer is, can you get to the place that you'll trust even when you doubt? Right? That's what Anna's question was that we read at the very beginning. How do I go about building a firm foundation of faith? I would answer, you have to trust even when you doubt. And I get it. That seems like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, Chip. How can I trust when I doubt? Like, aren't those things contradictory to each other? I, I don't think so. I don't think that faith is a lack of doubt. To me, faith is being able to trust in the face of doubt. Faith is choosing to believe even when it doesn't make sense, even when we doesn't, don't understand it. Faith is a trust greater than our doubts. And I know you don't always feel that. I don't always feel that. Sometimes when I'm in a hospital with a dying mother and a very pregnant wife, my doubts can get really big. But it's in those moments that we can and we should pray that God would grow our faith. I don't know why we leave that sometimes, but listen, it's 100% okay. The New Testament makes it very clear faith is a gift from God and when we are struggling and find our faith lacking, it is okay to say, God, grow my faith. God, help me believe. Matter of fact, in the New Testament, somebody literally asked Jesus, Jesus, help my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. And I think it's okay when we find ourselves right there, right where Habakkuk was. God, I believe that I've got to live by faith. I believe that you are going to work things out in the right time. I believe that you're still in control, but right now it's hard to believe. Help me. I think that's okay. I think that is the cry of a bewildered child to a loving and gracious father. So I want to encourage you today, even when you doubt, even when you question, you can still lean into faith. And we have to learn how to lean into faith. Because at some point in our life, it's going to be all that we have. The good news is that because of the cross, we know when it's all we have, it's still all that we need. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for the time together today. And I, I pray that you would grow our faith. God, yes, that you would shrink our doubts. Yes, that you would help us to understand. Yes, that you would help us to see your plan. But more than any of those things, God, would you grow our faith. Help us to trust when we can't see. Help us to trust when we can't understand. And help us to turn our eyes to the cross when we need a reminder. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.